Romans 6, uh, not the second message in Romans, but Romans 6. Um, it's a mini-series that we're in on holiness. Last week, we covered the first four verses of this chapter, which are some of the most explicit texts in all of Scripture in helping us understand our union with Christ. And if you don't know what union with Christ is, and you weren't here last week, maybe go back and listen to that message. But as way of rolling into our text this morning, I do want to give a short recap of what we discussed last week. In the first four verses of this chapter, Paul puts forth the theological assertion. It's important that you remember that. It's a theological assertion that he's putting forward uh, that we cannot continue in sin or we cannot live in sin precisely because we have been united with Christ. We have become one with Jesus. His death to sin that we have been grafted into is now our death to sin. His resurrection is our resurrection. We saw that these redemptive realities aren't just meant to be sentimental in nature, but are effectual as they cause us to be dead to sin and alive to Christ in everyday life. Therefore, we said, our sanctification is primarily, primarily a work of God. I said last week that it's not something that we achieve, but something we receive. And let me read you a few passages that indicate this. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6.11. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Even in Philippians 2.12, where we are told to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, we are reminded in verse 13 that it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Don't miss that last passage. God is the one who makes your heart willing to be sanctified. You see that? So again, we must, church, understand that because we have become one with Christ, our sanctification is definitive. It's not hanging out there in the balance like some of you might think. So This might lead you to ask a question that I was asked a few times last week. What if, as a believer, I don't cooperate with God in my sanctification? Will I still be sanctified? Two answers to that question. Number one, the first answer is basically the same answer that Paul gives us in Romans 6, 2. Listen to this. How can we who have become one with Christ not want to cooperate with him in all that he is working in our lives. How? To be in Christ but actively rejecting his work in us is a contradiction of our union. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like saying, uh, Bruce is my friend. But I want you all to know 
that I actively resist all of his attempts to build our friendship. Well, that doesn't make much sense. Why would I even call Bruce my friend if that was the case? You see, we have become united to Christ in the most intimate way. Why would we not want his love and sanctification? That's the first answer. But the second answer to this question would deal with those who are immature in the faith and those who have become entangled in sin. Now, let me start with the immature part. When I say immature, please don't think rungs on a ladder as if that's how we mature in Christ. Rather, think of identification markers of maturity or of the, your maturing. You with me? The reason I say this is because one identification marker of someone who is maturing will be that they are embracing God's process of sanctification in their life. While an immaturing Christian, someone who's not mature, will be fighting against this process. Much like my two and three-year-old fight against me as I try to lovingly parent them. Amen, parents? But someone who also fights against this process is someone who has become entangled themselves in sin. A Christian who has been deceived and given themselves to sin is actively resisting God's process of sanctification. But their resisting is different because they aren't fully aware that this is what they're doing. Hence, the deceptive nature of sin. You understand? But here's good news. For both of these Christians, the immature one and the one who has been entangled in sin, there is glorious hope that even they will be sanctified. Hebrews 12 asks us, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. Praise God. That's what God is working in you, willing in you, seeing to it that it comes to fruition. So if you're here this morning, church, and you're in Christ, you can breathe. You don't have to be so tense. Your heavenly Father will see to it that you are sanctified. Because according to the scripture, all his children will be made holy. That is such good news. <laughs> now, here's what you have to decide. What kind of life do you want to live? What kind of life do you want to live as a Christian? Let me illustrate what I mean by this. I'll share a little bit about myself growing up. I was a very stubborn kid. I wasn't necessarily a bad kid, or at least in my eyes, but I was just stubborn. 
I averaged four to five paddlings every year of my high school life. I'm not boasting in that, I'm just telling you facts. I got paddled a lot. So at school, I got paddled, but at home, I got whippings. Now, there's a difference, all right? The school has rules. My parents have none. <laughs> a whipping might come from a belt, a hickory, or even a shoe. Sometimes I get up here and wonder, why did I choose to tell you this? But here we go. The last whipping my dad gave me that I can remember was on the side of Interstate 20 when I was 15 years old. Wow, right? I remember this because we were on the way to one of my B-team games, B-team basketball game. I was going to play, actually, for Coach Tucker. And on the way to that game, I got my tail tore up on the side of I-20. <laughs> Pretty embarrassing. Yes. Um, trust me, I have prayed to God, and I hope you will join me in praying that my children are not like me. You do that, I'll pray for your children as well. But the reason I bring this up is to say that my childhood did not have to be filled with paddlings and whippings. I could have believed that my parents and teachers wanted the very best for me. I could have believed that they really did want maximum satisfaction and joy in my life, in all things. But I didn't believe that. No, I believe that these oppressors wanted to limit everything and keep me from living my best life. So I didn't blatantly deny their authority, hence, not a bad kid. I just found lots of ways to work around it and obviously got caught quite a bit. And for this, I paid a price. I paid many prices. You tracking with me here? God the Father has united us with his Son through the Holy Spirit that we would be sanctified. He is seeing this work through. He is working in us a holiness that cannot be had, church, apart from him. So sanctification is primarily a work of God. This flows out of our union with Christ and this leads us right into our text this morning. So if you will, look down at your Bibles and read verses 5 through 7 with me. Verse 5, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that the, our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Father, this is your word, and I pray, Lord, that you would help us this morning to believe what your word is telling us. It's radical. It's glorious. But God, we know that we are hearing and we have heard and we have been enculturated and saturated with other voices that claim to be true. 
God, help us to see that your voice alone is true this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title of today's sermon is Dead to Sin. In last week's text, we read that we have died to sin and been made alive to Christ. But as we've already said, in those four verses, Paul's main desire was that you would see that these things have been have taken place because of your union with Christ. That's his main point there, is to help you see your union with Jesus. So in today's text, Paul goes deeper into the idea that we are dead to sin. So that's what we'll be exploring this morning. In verse 5, Paul makes a conditional statement. He does this using the word if. Paul says, if we have been united with Christ in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. What Paul is trying to get across in this first verse is that your union with Christ in a resurrection like his, which would include your ability to walk in newness of life and your future glorification, all of that is conditional. It's conditional. Your resurrection hinges on your dying with Christ. If you haven't died with him in a death like his, then you have no hope of being resurrected in a resurrection like his. We talked about this last week, but the main idea here is that the phrase united with him in a death like his means both in a mystical union type way where we were in him when he was upon the cross, remember we talked about that last week, as well as an ongoing literal type of way. Hence Jesus' call to those who want to follow him in Luke 9, 23. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You understand, take up your cross daily is kind of a weird statement in Jesus' culture. You only take up your cross once and then what happens? You are no more. But Jesus says, you're going to take it up daily. Practically, what this means is to be in Christ. It means that we have walked away from our previous life and chose to follow Jesus so that we are united with him in a death like his and united with him in a resurrection like his. And this is precisely what Paul is stating in verse 5. Now, we got to ask the question, is Paul just being redundant? I mean, I thought we've already said all of this. Is he being redundant here? No. No, what Paul is pointing to is the absolutely crucial fact that our strength in the Christian life finds its source of power and perseverance in our being made one with Christ, who died to sin once and for all and rose from the dead and is now seated on the throne in heaven. Jesus' future, his fate, is not hanging in the balances, church. He is really and presently on his throne. So guess what that means for you? 
Your future is not hanging in the balances if you're in him. It's as sure as he is sitting on his throne today. So he continues explaining this in verse 6. Check it out with me, verse 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. There it is. (laughs) The power you have to defeat sin comes through your old man being crucified with Christ. This effectively renders the body of sin powerless. Powerless. Last week in home group, the first question that we asked was, why do we still sin after salvation? Now, there are plenty of ways to answer this question, but one I think many of us might give is that while we've been given God's spirit, we still have our old nature, our old sin nature. But let me be very, very clear about what Paul is saying here. He's saying you don't have two natures. In fact, in order for you to receive a new nature, your old nature had to die. It had to die. This past week I heard someone say as I was studying on this, um, (laughs) said nobody in the Godhead wanted the job of pastoring your old man. That's why he had to die. Think about that. It's being a little funny, but it's actually true. Church, your old man stands in complete opposition to God. Your old man is not being tamed. Your old man is not being sanctified. Your old man is not being made new. Your old man, which is in Adam, had to die. And a new man, which is in Christ Jesus, had to be resurrected. This is precisely what happened in our salvation. Our old self was crucified with Jesus in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Nothing. Church, hear me clearly. The body of sin has been brought to nothing. Therefore, you are no longer enslaved to sin. Trust me, I understand this is a radical idea. It's a radical idea because, let's be honest, our sin seems to us so real and fresh and our old nature very much alive, right? Can we be honest? But, Church, the truth of God's word that we have been called to believe is that it's not. It's not. And I believe that here, in this wonderful truth, lies great power for our sanctification that we must believe to take hold of. Therefore, it's important that we clearly grasp exactly what's being taught here. So let me try and illustrate uh, what's being taught here with an analogy from Tony Evans. Um, I will expound on it a little more than he does, but this is where this comes from. Imagine with me that all the General Motor factories 
GMC factories shut down. They quit producing GMC vehicles. This would mean that GMC would never produce another car again. You with me? However, GMC still has millions of cars all over the roadways. In fact, in the first few years after they shut down their factories and never make another car again, you would find it hard to believe that they actually did that because you're still seeing brand new cars being sold off the lot, right? But it's a fact that the GMC factories have shut down. They are no longer pumping out vehicles. Church, this illustrates Paul's point very well. Our old nature has been abolished, destroyed. That's what the phrase brought to nothing literally means. Don't miss this. While our old nature was alive, it was producing all kinds of sins, bad habits, wicked intentions, and misuses of God's design. These things represent those millions of vehicles that are still out all over the roadways. And they will continue to drive up and down the roadways, the highways, which is our flesh, until they are found and decommissioned. Is that making sense? Now going a little further, every time you come upon one of these vehicles, it's a new and a fresh experience for you. It's a new and fresh experience. You haven't seen all millions of those GMC vehicles, so each one, to you, you go, somebody make this? Where where did this come from? Right? Because it's a new and fresh experience. And you know what else is happening every time you come upon one of those GMC vehicles? Listen to this. Every one of the drivers of those vehicles are trying to make a deliberate statement to you. Here's the statement they're trying to make. GMC still lives. GMC is strong and many. GMC will never die. That's what they're saying to you. Is that funny? Yeah. Yeah, that's our sin. When you encounter your sin, when you sin, that's what that sin wants you to hear. Oh, don't believe that preacher. Don't believe what Paul is saying. (laughs) Sin is still alive, very much alive. Sin lives in you. Sin is many But here's what Paul wants you to know. The General Motor Company, a.k.a. your sin, has been brought to nothing. Nothing. Don't listen to what these drivers have to say. Don't listen to how many of them you see on the roadways. They've been rendered powerless. Powerless. Church, trust me, I know this is a much different way to think about your sin. 
But I believe it's the biblical paradigm that Paul gives us. If you have been crucified with Christ, then the power of your sin has been broken in your life. It's been broken. But what remains, what remains is the mere perception of sin's vitality. Don't miss that. Every time you sin, what the enemy wants you to believe is that sin is strong, that your sins are many. Your old man is alive and he is well and you are enslaved to his desires, his passions, and his rule. But church, Jesus speaks a much better word. Through his crucifixion, your old man, along with your old nature, was brought to nothing. It was obliterated, destroyed, never able to rise again. But more than that, a new man, along with a new nature, was birthed in you. One that longs for righteousness and God's glory. And this new man, church, this new man, he will live forever. (laughs) Church, here's the thing. If you do not believe this good news, then you will live in defeat. You will live as someone who believes that sin still reigns. That your heart continues to pump out new and fresh sins every day. But church, that's not true. Now that you are in union with Christ, your heart beats for the glory of God because Christ's heart beats for the glory of God. And you are hidden in him. You're hidden in him. Carlton said this past week in our podcast that if an unregenerate person can do all the things that you can do, then something is way wrong. It's way wrong. Because in Jesus' death, we not only have the forgiveness of our sins, but we also have our death to sin, which is mystical but also effectual in our lives. Don't miss this, church. We are dead to sin. Fact. So when John Calvin says that our hearts are idol factories, pumping out new idolatry by the day, understand that this is pre-conversion. That's pre-conversion. Upon conversion, that factory has been decommissioned, shut down, abolished. It is no more. But what remains are all the idols that have been produced pre-conversion. That's what remains. Which can give us, don't miss this, which can give us a perception that sin is still alive and very strong. The perception. Some would say that perception is reality. You ever heard that? Well, perception has a hold on us because what we perceive to be true is what? It's what we'll walk in. If you perceive something to be dangerous, you won't do it. If you perceive that something is going to bring sickness into your life, you're not going to go near it. If a girl thinks that Brad Pitt is ugly, if she perceives him to be ugly, good luck getting her to date him. 
But church, we're called to not live in perception. We're called in to live in objective truth. Objective truth. Just because that girl perceives to be Brad Pitt is ugly, does not mean that man is ugly. <laughs> Just want to be very clear about that. But these perceptions have a hold on us, right? Parents, you see this in your kids. They perceive stupid stuff to be cool, don't they? Right? They're like, what in the world? That's dumb. Perception's like a shadow. You know, if you're, you're in a, a dark alley at night and you see a, a big shadow of what looks like a monster around a corner, you're, you're probably not going to turn that corner. You're probably going to go, I think I'll find another way, you know, unless your name's Robert Mangum and then you're, <laughs> you know. but if you're not Robert, you're probably just going to, you know, I can find a different way around. Um, but here's the thing. When you realize that a little mouse this big is creating a little shadow that looks like a monstrous monster, then all the fangs are taken out, right? The scriptures talk about this, that Christ has literally broken off the teeth of the wicked. I want you to think about that. He's broken the teeth of the wicked. There's nothing there. It can't hurt you. But you perceive it to be awful. You perceive it to be real. You perceive it to be scary. And that perception is what takes a hold on us in so much of life. And this is why we need the objective, true, objectively true word of God. To continue being that beacon of light that says, this is the way. What you're being fed is smoke and mirrors. Don't believe it. This is the way. This is what's true. This is what's real. So important. Now, this might lead you to think, well, Corey, sounds like if I'm able to do away with the perception that sin is still strong in my life, then I'm able to rid myself of sin. Is that right? Is that what you're saying? If I can just get rid of the perception, I'll stop sinning? And I would answer you this, that while ridding yourself of the, of the perception of sin's vitality is a huge victory and one that you must continue to win, there is one more thing that remains. One more thing. And that is our old affections for sin. Our affections or our love of sin still lingers. So track with me. The power of sin has been broken. The perception of sin's vitality still remains. But thirdly, our old affections 
linger. If we're honest this morning about the reasons we still sin, it's because we love sin. Sure, the factory is closed and it is no longer being produced, but that doesn't change the way that we feel about what was once being produced. Rod Stewart wrote a song that Cheryl Crow made famous for me called The First Cut is the Deepest. The lyrics of this song say, I would have given you all of my heart, but there's someone who's torn it apart. And they've taken just all that I had, but if you won't, I'll try to love again. This song is all about a lover who has been torn apart by their previous lover. Meaning that the lover not only was their first love, but they still have a very strong power in their life because of the nature of that relationship. Our old affections linger. Church, our first love was to sin. But when we look to Christ and enter into a relationship with him, that old lover dies. That old relationship is no more. Church, you cannot have a real relationship with a dead person. You understand? But what you can have is memories, feelings, and affections for that dead person. See, our problem as Christians is we still reminisce about our old relationship. We still enjoy the thoughts in our head of our old lover. We're still lured and enticed by the thrill of our past. We're still prone to deal with issues the very same way we once did in our previous relationship. When pain or hurt come our way, we have an old habit of finding comfort in this previous lover. Because the first cut is the deepest, our old affections linger. They linger. Church, if you nurture these old affections for sin, uh, they will be powerful in your life. But not because they have any real power. Throughout the scriptures, God speaks about the way he interacts with his people through the idea of relationship, specifically a very intimate relationship or marriage. We're given all kinds of incredibly graphic language that I'll stay away from this morning. We're given all kinds of graphic language in the scriptures about Israel's infidelity to her God. God demands and deserves a faithful lover, which we are called to be. But all too often our old affections linger and we find ourselves in another affair with sin. This is precisely why we have the story of Hosea and Gomer. In order to graphically represent our infidelity to our God. In this story, the prophet Hosea is Hosea is told to take for himself an unfaithful wife. What a call. I don't think anyone would ever pick a mate that they knew was going to be blatantly unfaithful, right? But this is what God told Hosea to do. And he told him to do it in order to put on display God's relationship with us. The story goes on that 
Hosea makes Gomer his own. But time and time again, she's unfaithful to him. And time and time again, what does he do? Redeems her. Redeems her. Redeems her. Goes after her. He forgives her unfaithfulness and remains committed to her despite her unfaithfulness. Now here's the reason I bring this story up. We don't need to live chasing memories and affections of our old lover. That old lover is dead and gone. Do not be captured by the memory, the ghost of what once was. Instead, be captured and give yourself to your new lover, the one who has given you eternal life. Nick Dutton said this so well when we and him were discussing this last night, talking about the way in which we kill old affections. And this is what Nick said. The, really, the only way to kill old affections is to, for them to be absolutely overwhelmed by new affections. That's how you get rid of old affections. Have them overwhelmed by new affections. That's absolutely right. So listen to me. Your old lover named Sin gave you the gift of death. But your new lover gives you the gift of life. Your old lover sought to bring anxiety, depression, and frustration into your life. While your new lover brings peace and joy and pleasure. Your old lover leads you down confusing, dead-end roads, but your new lover shows you paths of eternal purpose and meaning. Your old lover is cruel, making promises and not delivering, while your new lover is kind, always fulfilling his word in greater measure than you even could imagine. Your old lover is bankrupt and awaits the day of his final destruction while your new lover is wealthy beyond understanding and will rule forever and ever and ever. Your old lover, this is the reality, your old lover wants to see you suffer and receive the wrath of God Almighty while your new lover desires to see you thrive and therefore places himself underneath the full wrath of God on your behalf. There is no comparison of these two lovers. Church, you are dead to sin. Therefore rejoice that you have been made one with Christ. Every time you see sin in your life, reject the notion that sin is still alive and well in you. Rather, take the authority and the power that God has given you and put that sin to death. And when that's hard because those old affections still linger, ponder on all the benefits of your new lover. And remember all the destruction that your previous lover brought into your life. This is the way forward in sanctification. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united 
with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for the one who has died has been set free from sin. Amen? Father, thank you for your word. God, as someone who has um, fought with sin for so long and um, so often felt um, worn out, overwhelmed by it, Father, this is, this is good water this morning, God. This is good truth. This is glorious news. This is empowering. God, that you love us. You've taken us into yourself. That you've rendered the enemy useless. You've brought our old self to nothing. So that our new self in you can live. God, I pray for people listening this morning, God. That they would no longer perceive that sin has power in their life that it doesn't have. Father, and I pray for them that they would be so overwhelmed by the affections you have for us that it would snuff out Ruin any old affections. God, thank you for making us dead to sin. Thank you for doing this work. God, our prayer is that we would walk in it now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.